Welcome, seekers of fertile ground. This is the Finding Fertile Ground podcast, where I discover stories of grit, resilience, and connection. I'm your host, Marie GG, and this podcast is brought to you by Fertile Ground Communications. My superpowers include writing engaging content, inspiring people, and solving seemingly impossible problems. Look me up on www.fertilegroundcommunications.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please give us a review and subscribe to hear our next episode. As a podcaster for justice, I stand with my sisters from the Women of Color podcasters community. We are podcasters united to condemn the tragic murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and many others at the hands of police. This is a continuation of the systemic racism pervasive in our country since its inception, and we are committed to standing against racism in all its forms. Today, I speak with Farheen Raza, host of Authentic and Unfiltered with Farheen, previously known as Musings of a Modern Muslim. Farheen is a Muslim-American community activist, radio personality, and mom of three boys from Flower Mound, Texas, near Dallas. She describes herself as a fearless communicator, very loud on social media, and active on multiple fronts. She survived COVID-19 this spring, and we talked about being a Muslim in America, podcasting, and the hotly debated movie Cuties. Now, let's meet Farheen. So let's start by yeah. you telling us about your life, where you grew up, what was your childhood like? So I, well, I was born in Abu Dhabi, which is actually in the United Arab Emirates, out in the middle of nowhere, in a little country next to Saudi Arabia. Was born there, but then I moved to the U.S. when I was about one and a half, two years old. So this is the only home I've really known. Moved to the Northeast, to New York, and lived there, all good. And then we decided to move up north to Boston. That's still home in my heart. Lived in Boston, all good, all fine, and then got married in Boston, had two of my kids in Boston, and then my husband, who's a physician, decided to do a fellowship, and he moved us to Maine, Boston, so like the city of Boston, which was really nice to live in, but very expensive. After that, of course, it was like, okay, now I'm done with my fellowship, I'm done with my training, it's time to find a permanent job. And then at that time, he got a really good opportunity to go work at Mayo Clinic, and he was like, I'm taking this, even though it was like the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin, he's like, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, Lord. <laughs> okay, fine. So we moved to Wisconsin, lived there for three years. The cold was bitter. People are mm-hmm. very nice, but the cold was horribly bitter, mm-hmm. bitter, bitter cold. And then we decided that, you know what, this is just not working for us. So let's move somewhere where we can raise a family. And my family is Muslim. So uh, Wisconsin doesn't have as much in the area that we were in. I'm sure mm-hmm. in the bigger cities it did. So we were like, let's we need to move somewhere different where we can get some place where our kids find culture and diversity and all these things. And so there was a bunch of options. And then we were like, well, you know, at that time, like it is right now, Texas was up and coming. It's like the hot market. Everyone wants to move to Texas. So we were like, you know what? Why not? Let's let's move to Texas. Made the decision to move. And we've been here since. And kids like it. I like it. Husband likes it. Definitely, you know, more family values, better quality of life. But it has its little quirks here and there. It's weird because you feel like, am I still in the same country? Because you yeah. grow up knowing one thing and then you're like, wait a minute, this is very weird. Where am I? So it's way hotter, obviously. <laughs> Wisconsin. My sister's a physician as well. And she went to the medical college of Wisconsin. And yeah. she had a really hard time getting used to it, getting used to the Milwaukee weather the first year or so. And then she really came to love Milwaukee, but it took her a yes. while. What about your childhood? I think I listened to one of your podcast episodes talking about 9-11. Can you tell us about where you lived when 9-11 happened and how did your life change after that? Well, I lived in Boston. So that, uh, as anyone knows, the planes took off from Logan Airport. Mm. So that was 
very close to home. Uh, all three of the planes took off from Logan Airport, an airport that we had known, had used, still use. And it was very, very surreal at that time that this is happening from here. That means those people had planned all this with this specific city in mind, knowing what kind of planes take off here, what the flight time is. Because uh, the flight from New York to Boston, I think it's an hour or less. It's a very short flight. So they, they knew what they were doing. And, and when we saw that on the, on the news, it was just like, what the hell? Like, mm-hmm. is this happening from here? And then it was just, it was crazy. It was crazy how everything just changed overnight. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that perspective of being from the place where the planes took off from. That yeah. must have been very eerie and spooky. It was because it, it, it made you feel so unsafe that, and we all know since then, planes, the extra checking, TSA and all that stuff kind of went skyrocketing from there. Before it was, it was fun to go to the airport. It was like, yeah, we're going on a trip. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> and the only thing you really were, were to be careful of was weapons. Like, okay, no, of course, don't take a gun or a knife or you know something like that on a plane. But it was always a fun thing. And then it just became a chore because it was like, you know, TSA was extra strict, you know, shoes off, this off, that off. And it was like, this is just so painful. And I, I'm sure we're still still feeling the pain of it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Right. Well, now we can't even travel anywhere. Nobody's going to complain about taking their shoes off when we go back go back into travel mode, are we? Yes. Yeah. So how old were you when, when 9-11 happened? I was a freshman in college. So I was freshman just 18, 18, and 19. Did you notice right after that happened, did you notice a change in the way you were being treated? It was interesting because my college was very small, a small Catholic college. So very, of course, faith-based. And the dean of the school called me into her office and she was a nun. So, you know, Sister Anne. And she's like, I want to assign uh, a police officer to you. Wow. I'm worried you're you're one of the few Muslim students on campus. And I think everyone kind of forgets that it wasn't that September 12th. Everyone figured out that who was, you know, the perpetrator. It took like a a few days. Mm -hmm. I think if I remember correctly, the first three, four days were just people just kind of reeling from it. Like what just happened? Why it happened? Oh my God, this shouldn't have happened. This is horrible. People just figured. And then when they said like, oh, it was this group of people from this terrorist group and whatnot. And it kind of became known that, oh, this is a Muslim terrorist group. That's when it kind of kicked in. So it was like a week later that my dean had called me and she's like, I'm going to assign you someone who will just be, you know, around. And his job is to just make sure you are fine. Because the last thing we need is someone being crazy and doing something that they shouldn't be doing. Oh my gosh. And how long did that last? That kind of guard duty? They, I think it was like three weeks. Three, three weeks. weeks. And then I kind of said, I think I, I, I'm pretty okay. So can I not have someone following me around? <laughs> <laughs> I bet. I bet. Kind of like the Secret Service, your own personal Secret Service. <laughs> yeah. But that is really a wonderful gesture that she made. I mean, did it make you feel good or did it make you feel kind of more nervous having someone follow you around? In the beginning, it was kind of like, wait a minute, why do I need someone? Has someone said something? Is, am I right. in danger? Right. Did someone make a threat? And they're like, okay, we're going to make sure that she's safe. But no, then it was like, you know, it was, it was kind of nice. It was like, okay, well, they did care enough. And, and it was nice that she knew that I, I only have a handful of Muslim students on campus. So it's in my best interest to keep them safe. Yes, that's so, good. that was nice of her. And what about the environment in the U.S. and how it affected you? It was it was interesting. I would say it was something that we didn't expect. I remember at that time in college, I wrote a lot of school paper articles on what Islam is. That like most religions were a religion of peace, but of course we have a few bad eggs who are mm-hmm. crazy and they're insane, and no, we don't follow them and all that. But it became hard and hard to constantly defend ourselves. I'm sure it's not me. It's not. Me. And now I think. 
you know, going on nearing 20 years of this, we're at the point where like, we're not going to be apologetic for people doing bad things everywhere mm-hmm. else. Because we don't expect for example, all white people to be apologetic when some mass shooter comes out and they're a white person. It's like, well, you're all bad now. You just mm-hmm. all have to apologize. It's like, well, you, we don't expect that of you. Why is that put upon us? Right. So I think we've come to the point where we're like, no, we're not about that anymore. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because I'm sure it must get exhausting when you feel like you have to defend your nationality or your race constantly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, get, it gets tiring and it, it's like, but this is not us. It's really not us. Well, you make such a good point that there are bad apples in every religion, and there are a lot of Christians that really make me embarrassed to call myself Christian. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, you know, religion in any form is used as a violent weapon, unfortunately. Every single religion. Maybe not Buddhism, maybe not, but, you know, if you think about, even, for example, thinking about Judaism, that the way the Palestinians are being treated in Israel is is also using their religion as a weapon. So you can find extremists in every religion, I think. Definitely. And and they are, they are there, unfortunately. So part of the deal, I guess. So, so what was your major in college? I was a psychology major with a concentration in sociology. Did you practice as a psychologist too? I did for Mm -hmm. um, about three years and then I I got burned out. Plus I was expecting. Uh And then I was like, you know what? Maybe it's just time to let this go. Well, I bet it comes in handy podcasting. Yes, yes. it does. <laughs> yes. yes. And also kind of reflecting on your, you know, just being a Muslim and being reflecting on the way that that has changed for Muslims in America, I think, since 9-11. Oh, um, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think there's a, oh. lot of, a lot of trauma, unrealized trauma, you know, in the Muslim community right now. So, Yes, definitely. Do you feel that xenophobia and discrimination have, have ratcheted up since the 2016 election? Have you noticed that as well? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything has gone, you know, as they say, down the toilet at this point. And it, it's troubling because I really worry that it's it's pretty bad already. How how much worse will it get? I know. And, and, it's, and it's scary. It's like, I hope it doesn't get any more worse than this. Yeah. Please. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm very concerned about the rise of white nationalism in this, in, yes. in this country and across the world, actually, not just this yes. country, but it's very scary right now. You know, it's also when you think about Black Lives Matter as well and the, the way that Black lives are constantly under a threat, I think that the silver lining to that is there are more people who are getting to understand, you know, what it's like to be a Black person in America. I do think there are more people understanding that Islam as a as a religion, more yeah. gradually, more and more people understanding that it's not, you know, all of Islam is not bad, of course, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, but it's, there's a lot of education that still needs to take place. So I think that in, in that sense, I mean, I'm not ever saying that the pandemic was a good thing, of course not, but I think it just gave people that slow down to think moment because mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, there's nothing else to do. So yeah, when you right. see these things, it's like, wait a minute, are you being serious? Like, is this really happening? Is this really happening? Yes. And then I think it really got people focused that, oh my goodness, this is actually really happening in the world. Yes. And, and we need to be aware and this is not a good thing. Right. I agree. So what do you love most about being Muslim and what do you find the most challenging? The traditions of it, the history it's very fascinating. And then a lot of our restrictions do make sense. Uh, for example, not eating pork. It's like, well, pork has been proven multiple times over that it's a meat that you really should not eat if you want to live a healthy life. And mm-hmm. I know people love bacon and all that stuff, but it's like, well, you know what? It kind of proves that it, you don't need that. And then like alcohol is forbidden. Mm-hmm. So you get the idea, well, you know what? It makes sense because it makes you uninhibited. So 
good idea. <laughs> yeah. And, and less healthy too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you find most challenging about it? Sometimes uh, the other people in, in mm-hmm. uh, our religion who take it upon themselves that I am the authority figure. So mm-hmm. you listen to me and it's like, well, really now? <laughs> I bet. Yeah. There's really? in, like some authoritarianism, which is yes. also in a lot of religions as well. Yeah. You know? Everyone thinks they're the better one. Really now? <laughs> yeah. And have you got a lot of flack for not wearing a hijab or? The funny thing is I never wore a hijab in my whole life. And then I actually started wearing it in the end of 2018. I started and I oh. wore it for a good year and a half. Mm-hmm. I gave it a full amount of time. I was like, no, I'll be, I'll be good and I'll give it the thing it de- deserves. And I found that it just wasn't me. I mean, it is an edict in our religion that you should be covering your hair. It is definitely there. And I don't doubt that. And that neither do I say that this is something that I'm doing right or wrong. It just wasn't me. And I felt it was more harder for me to just be myself. I did not feel any negativity or racism or prejudice because of it. It was just, uh, for me, it was like, I don't think this is me. I know a number of Muslim women uh, across the scale. I know one who fully covers herself from head to toe. And then I also know women who don't wear any of that in there. You would never know that they were Muslim. So, and I, what I love about that is the, the full scale of, of, of possibilities. And I've never heard any kind of judgment from my friend who does cover herself from head to toe about. Yeah. Muslim women who are, who are not doing that. It's just what she believes in. So yeah, um, it's just, you know, from what I've observed, it's very respectful for different choices that women make. Definitely. Exactly yeah. that. So let's talk about your bout with COVID-19. Oh, yeah. The thing that has made me famous at That's this point. Right. I, I was like, okay, when People Magazine called and I was like, oh, okay. How did, they fi- talk about- How did they find you? Through your podcast? Yes, because uh, wow. one of their editors, because they're they're focusing on their um, on their website on these little like niches. So mm-hmm. you have People Magazine, which does a lot of, of course, celebrity news, but then you have these niche parts where they're covering the coronavirus, they're covering the elections, they're covering a whole bunch of different things. So the editor in the um, the United States Health niche was looking for experiences of people who had gone through it and survived. She had already done a few people in New York because that was a big epicenter. And then she's like, well, I was looking at the, another epicenter, which at that time was Florida, Texas, and California. She, I think she put in like coronavirus survivor or something. And then my podcast episode popped up and she listened to it and she reached out. She's like, oh my goodness, this is exactly what I'm looking for. Do you mind talking to people about it? And I was like, uh, yes, need you ask? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was a nice, nice feature for you. Yes. And I was like, okay. And I had to make sure like I put it everywhere. I plastered it. And my mom was very proud. So she was like, oh, oh. <laughs> I can make the People magazine. Because at least that's something you can quote. And most people know what that is. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I thought what was so interesting about your story, because two of my, I have three sons like you and my two older sons mm-hmm. have been tested for COVID. And they actually said, well, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would. I, after hearing your story, I thought, hmm. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. So why don't you? Very interesting. Yeah, my husband was a doctor still, and he's like, he's like now not as much, but he's like in the beginning of this pandemic, he would catch nurses and people testing wrong all the time. Why don't you start from the beginning and tell us what happened to you? Okay, so it was lockdown was in full swing. So this because my kids went on March break in the third week of March, and that kind of coincided a little well with the COVID shutdown because they went on break, and it was like, well, you guys aren't coming back because it's lockdown, schools are closed, everything's closed, 
at that time in New York, people were dying left, right, and center. I have family in New York who are in the medical field, and they were just telling us these horror stories that this is just so bad. We were like, okay, we're, we'll be careful. We'll only go out for essentials. All events were canceled. We pulled our kids out of sports. I pulled my three-year-old out of daycare. We're like, no, we don't need it. I'm home. We'll just stay home. And we were being good about it. The only person leaving the house at that point was my husband because he still had to go to work. And so he was on, he had seen a COVID positive patient in their room with the proper PPE. So he had the mask, the gloves, the shield, everything. He said, I was in that room for maybe 20 seconds or less. And he's like, but the thing was, when I left the room, me and the nurse were talking outside in the hallway. So they had removed their mask and the shield, but they were still wearing the gloves and everything. But he's like, I'm pretty sure that's where we picked it up, both of us, because that nurse also had someone get COVID from the same place. Really? Yes. So they were like, okay, the, this is, we, we, they pinpointed. And uh, so he, that was on a Monday or Tuesday. And the following Sunday in the evening, it was a random Sunday. Nothing was happening. We just watched another movie, like the 50th one of the day or something. And we were like, okay, I was sewing masks in the beginning of the pandemic. I did try to sew a lot of masks. Now it's just like, they're like, they're everywhere now. So it's like, okay, there's no point in sewing <laughs> them anymore. Right. Right. They're everywhere. They're like they all are. over the place. I was, like, I was like, in the beginning, they were nowhere to be found. And it made sense. But now they're everywhere. So I was like, oh, whatever. But at that time, I was sewing them. And because of standing and just sewing, I felt like this backache in my lower back. Uh-huh. And I thought, you know what? It's probably just me standing this whole time sewing this thing, you know, kind of leaning in an awkward position, trying to get the fabric and the needle and everything right. So I just assumed that and I went to bed early, which is not normal for me. I'm a night owl. So I went to bed early and I just put it off to me just being tired. And again, mentally, the pandemic is very tiring. It is. Okay, just go to bed. I woke up around, I want to say 4 a.m., 4, 4.30 a.m. And I had this ache going up and down my spine. I woke my husband up. I was, I was like, hey, I, I don't feel so good. I felt feverish. Like I felt like I had a fever, like that, you know, the clammy feeling and the hot head. And like you, I felt a fever. He checked my forehead. He's like, you're, you're regular. And I was like, seriously, really? I have a fever. Oh my gosh. We got the thermometer. We've actually had a temporal thermometer since the beginning of when my kids were born because it was just a new thing 10 years ago and I bought one. And I still have the same one. It works perfectly. So we actually had one of those elusive temporal thermometers and he checked my temperature and it was like 97.8, very regular. And then we do have one of those um, digital ones sitting around too. He's like, let me just double check. Same thing. It was like 97.2. He's like, you're fine. I was like, I feel feverish. And he's like, okay, just have a Tylenol and sleep it off. Woke up the next morning and I was like in pain all over. Like my entire body was as if it, since you've had children, you know, a contraction, <laughs> mm-hmm. a contraction all over your body. You can imagine it was like not just focus contraction all over and this oh weird God. tingling and fuzzy feeling on my fingertips and my toes and, all, and it was all focused on my back. I felt nothing in the front, like the front of my legs were fine, but the back of my legs were in pain. And the front of my chest felt fine, but the back was in like severe pain and I had no energy. And immediately my husband was like, he's like, you probably have COVID. I was like, how, 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 like, <sighs> and why do you say that? And he's like, look, it's, it's not flu season. The temperature has been relatively nice. Allergies are down and there is nothing else happening right now. <laughs> so you probably have it. He was pretty convinced it's that. Then we called my doctor, my PCP and at first, when I told her, she's like, well, you might just be having some symptoms. When I was, like, I was like, but doctor, my husband is also a medical professional and he's seeing COVID patients. That's when she was like, okay, come on in. We'll uh, get you a test done. They were like, well, we can only do it tomorrow. Because at that time, uh, Marie, the tests were nowhere to be found. It was mm-hmm. so, so sparse. 
that it was almost lucky that we got one. So when um, the next morning they called me, I drove myself and she was like, just stay outside in your car. Me and my nurse will come outside. We'll do the test in the parking lot. Don't come inside. And I was like, fine. They did the test. I went home and I was like, okay. And at that time, again, the test results were taking 24 to 48 hours, uh, maybe even longer. So the results came back on Thursday. The results came back and it said negative. And I was like, but I feel like crap. And in this time, I had been getting worse. I had trouble deep breathing. I could barely go from like my bed to my bathroom or like the bed to the kitchen was like a, like a five mile walk. Wow. Couldn't eat anything, couldn't smell anything. Everything tasted like dust. <laughs> it was horrible. And because there's no medication, I was taking Tylenol every three to four hours, but it was just barely doing anything. And at that time, they were like, no ibuprofen at all. Don't take any of that. Just only Tylenol. So I took Tylenol and it was just so tiring because it was like a schedule, and, but you don't, you're not getting better. Usually with a flu or a cold or anything, any other virus, you may feel like crap for a day, but then by the next day, you start getting a little better. This is like constant. Every day is the same. Then she called and she said, your test is negative. And I was like, but I don't feel any better. I feel as bad as I did when I came to you on Monday. And she's like, you know what? Why don't you just take some ibuprofen and go to bed? You'll probably feel better later on. I was like, what? <laughs> I called my husband. I was, I was like, she just told me to take ibuprofen. He's like, no, do not take ibuprofen. Oh I was like, I'm God. not taking ibuprofen, man. I know that much. And he's like, what? How could she? And I was like, I don't know. So then he, he was like, you know what? Forget, let me make some phone calls and find a test. And this is where I think, honestly, it was like, if my husband was not a physician who was able to get these connections, I don't think I would have been tested at all. Ugh. And it was the bureaucracy at work. But it was like, yeah, it is. Is it a bad thing? Yes. It, can it be a useful thing? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was, it's one of those, like, I have mixed feelings about it. <laughs> Definitely do. Yes. And then he called a friend of his, um, who's also a physician, and they're like, yes, our lab is still running them. Let me write her up an order. So they wrote me an order, and this was Thursday afternoon, and she's like, you know, this uh, facility I'm using is actually coming to the house to test. So they'll come to your house. You just stand on your porch and they'll do it there. Uh, we were like, okay. So the woman came at 6 a.m. I was like, couldn't you get another oh time God. of me? 6 a.m. So 6 a.m. she came. And before that, the night before, I was like to my husband, I was like, can you make sure that you know what the test is supposed to look like so that we know going in, like this will be right. I don't want another negative test and then wonder what the hell do I have? Because that was the bigger, that was bigger fear. It's like, okay, if you got COVID, okay, you, you take the precautions. But if it's not COVID, it's not the flu, it's not the strep, what is it? <laughs> like, is it like cancer or something? I, my mind was going negative, like the worst of the worst. Oh, yeah. So then he watched a couple of videos online of people showing how the test is done. And he's, and he's like, you know what? I don't think your test was done correctly. I was like, yeah, it didn't look anything like this video. We saw a video from New York where they showed a, a nurse's assistant doing the test. And it, it, it was like pretty far up the nose. And I was like, this is, that's not what it felt like. It felt like a slight tickle, but it wasn't like horrible as people described it. So then he was like, uh, okay, now I'll be there in the morning and we'll look together. The person came to lab tech and then she did the test and only one nostril and she did it wrong again. Wow. And so he was, since he was there, he was like, ma'am, I, I, can you swap both nostrils? That's not right. And she's like, I did. I already put this one away, this test. And he's like, it's going to come back negative. I can tell you, you didn't swap her right. And then she's like, okay, do you want to? I mean, she, she said to him like, do you want to do it in an attitude? Like, okay, fine, you do it. And he's like, I can, I'm a doctor. <laughs> It was a funny moment at 6.05 a.m. She's like, do you want to do it? And he's like, I sure can. I'm a doctor. (laughs) So then he actually swabbed me. And that's when I felt like that, you know, when people describe like you feel your brain is being tickled in the front. And I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. it it doesn't, it's not painful. 
I'll, I'll put that I put that out there somewhere as it's not painful at all it's just very invasive and it very sounds annoying. awful yeah yeah it's annoying it's it's like you want and then of course most people end up sneezing right after so you have a tissue in your hand like okay hot you like a big sneeze <laughs> but um and you feel like your brain will come out of your nose so it's like yeah okay so that test went on Friday morning and of course they were like we don't do anything on the weekend so you won't find results until Monday possibly Tuesday I'm sitting there like what the hell <laughs> what do I have and my mom knew at that point, we didn't tell my mother-in-law, we only told a few select people because it's like, well, what, what does she have? What does she have? The result came back on Monday saying positive. And we were just like, what the hell? We just went through this. And at this point, it's already been over a week since I've had the initial symptoms. And it's like, now I know that what I've had for the week was this horrible virus. <laughs> yeah, you must have felt a little vindicated. I did, and I was angry too. I was, I was, yeah. I was angry. I was like, "Look at all the time we wasted, not knowing what the hell I had." Yes, yes. Oh my gosh! So did it get worse from there or better? No, from there on. Well, the worst of the symptoms lasted from like day two until like day sixteen, and then end of day sixteen, it was like, "Okay, I feel a little better." Oh my god! It was very slow. It was a long process. I definitely lived on my couch or my bed. My kids were being raised by, you know, iPads and, and TV at that point. Yeah. I mean, what did you do with your kids? Did you just figure that they would be exposed to you because it was too difficult? We did. To, we assumed yeah. that we're in the same house. And even though I know people are like, oh, isolate yourself in the same house. I was like, well, we have a toddler. He's not yeah. going to isolate from me, number one. And then number two, I was like, well, the vent system in the house is the same. So if there's a virus in the house, it's in the house. I know. That's it. it would be a little bit late by then, wouldn't it? Yeah. So we were like, you know what? Let's just everyone assume that we all are carriers or exposed watch for signs and then just again for those three and a half weeks my husband was the only one who stepped outside the door like Mm. even anything packages or anything he was like I'll do it just you guys just stay in the house not even the backyard we didn't go into our backyard nothing we stayed in three and a half weeks and watched a lot of tv (laughs) yeah a lot of tv and then normally we were we would love doing that you know go to the red box and get movies and then he was like forget that just stream them online buy them online it's okay just buy them online (laughs) Yeah. So a bunch of streaming made the kids watch like, you know, Back to the Future, Jurassic Park, all the classics were like, oh, yeah, this is what we grew up on, guys. You can watch this, too. <laughs> but but it was a process and it showed who your friends are and who mm. are people who are just, you know, the extras in your life. Really? Because a lot of people came out and a, a lot of people were dropping off food. I did not cook for three and a half weeks. There was food always coming. Oh, that's wonderful. Someone was dropping off food. At, and, and sometimes they wouldn't even like call or anything they just ring the doorbell and then on our doorbell because we have a camera you'd see and I was like hey is that so-and-so <laughs> and then they and I was like and then my husband would go to the door and they're like whole trays of lasagna or whole trays of rice oh. and chicken stuff because they're like well she the mother is down so let's feed the whole family yes you must have really built a strong community there in Dallas yeah people no people really did step out and they uh, you know people sent cookies for the kids they were just like okay oh, hey, do you need anything uh, a lot of people offered to like I, you know if it's okay with you I can take the kids and I was like it's fine by me but I don't want you getting it what if my kids are carriers right my mom was literally going crazy in Boston because she wanted to just fly down we were like no mom just stay there don't move do not move woman do not move oh my gosh <laughs> yeah that is you're really far away from your from your parents huh do you have yeah, other family yeah. in in texas or are they all well these- now i do because my sister actually moved down here two weeks oh, ago so nice. so, we, so my mom was like i wish she had moved early that would have helped you a lot and i was like yeah, yeah it would have been kind of nice because we would just stay in the same house and i would have been like you just come live with me 
stay with me. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. So, so it's nice, definitely. But, and that's why when you see people just, you know, going crazy about having events or birthdays or they, I'm all for the drive through. I, I, I know it's silly. I know it's weird, but I'm all for the socially distanced drive through fun things. And, and you know what? This is a time when everyone will look back on and be like, oh, that wasn't that funny. <laughs> that yeah. time that we had to like drive through the birthdays and weddings and baby showers and everything. Mm-hmm. But when I see people having full on events and weddings and parties and, and all this, and then you see the case numbers are definitely going down a bit, but they're not gone yet. Right. Everyone's like, oh, they're going down. Yeah, they're going down. But is it gone yet? <laughs> I'd feel comfortable when... It's like there's only a hundred cases in the entire United States. Yes. On a given day. It must be. That would be like, oh, it's going down. Now we can resume tentatively regular life. But until that happens, I just think people are just being very selfish. That's why I put in my people article too. I was like, it's time it's a time for us to be selfless. Unfortunately, most people are being selfish. Yes. It must be particularly hard for you having survived it and then seeing how people are, you know, thinking that it's a rumor or it's not really real. Oh goodness. Oh. I've had people attack me. They're like, well, no, Fahini, you probably had this, uh, the flu. I was like, hello, I got flu tested like three times and the strep test. They all came back negative. And thank God, thank God, I do have a pretty solid immunity. A knock on wood, I don't get sick very often. And when I do get sick, it's pretty bad. So in general, I, I have not had the flu flu in like eight years. I get my flu shot. I do that. I do the, you know, what's needed. I don't get sick that often. And if I do, it's usually just like a, you know, like upper respiratory, like, like a dribbly nose or like a really bad cold. That's like my worst. You know, thank God I'm pretty healthy. So I was like, for me to be down like that for three weeks, that's not normal. <laughs> did any of your other family members get it then? Uh, in my house? No, no one did. Uh-huh. And we were like, and we, but we were extra careful. We're like, no, no one's leaving. And then we made sure that even though I was feeling relatively normal, my husband's like, let's just extra quarantine the kids even for another two weeks. Mm. Just don't even leave. No, no, no backyard, nothing. Mm-hmm. Our kids became fat and that fat around did nothing. <laughs> well, cause we were like, well, we're not going to argue with them, but we can't just make them sit in the house, do nothing. So my middle one got to play all the video games he wanted. My older mm-hmm. one got to, you know, watch whatever he wanted. We're like, all right, go for it, man. Yeah, you know, there's worse things that can happen. You know, like I'm sure you had to use the screens because your husband was working and you couldn't yes. exactly care for them. And then he was told at work that they were um, at that point telling people not to take unnecessary days off. They were like, no, we need all hands on deck because yeah. there were people in the hospital getting sick too. I know my husband has so many colleagues who've been through it, gotten sick, or they didn't get sick. Their kids got sick, their spouse got sick, their mother got sick, or their father got sick. So they're like, no. And it was like, uh, it was just all hands on deck. Oh my gosh. Well, I read about Texas yesterday. They came out with some study that said that Texas ranks dead last in health insurance coverage. Oh yeah. I would believe it. And residents are, you know, they're more likely to skip skip care because of the cost. They don't have a primary doctor. And then also that 75% of adults don't get flu and pneumonia vaccines there. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's a, there's a big anti-vaxxer movement around here. Yeah. Big time. (laughs) I live in Portland, Oregon, and there is in Oregon as well, except it's probably more from the far left, <laughs> the far right, you know, they're, they're like granolas and they more natural health types of approaches than probably in Texas. It's probably from the right wing, maybe. Really? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Is uh, it? I don't know. Well, yeah, because over here, a lot of the right wing thing is just fake. Yeah. So right. it's like, why would you even get like, I know there's a lot of people already saying that even if a vaccine comes out, we're not getting it until it's been tested for a while. Right. Me, I'm like, you know, I'd, I'd give a vaccine. Honestly, let's say if 
best case. And I ask my husband every day when, cause on the news, they're like, Oh, vaccines coming. Mm-hmm. He's like, it's not coming. Until. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> as earliest that they can expect it is if, if they speed everything up, everything goes perfect. Maybe January, May, maybe. Yeah. And that's even right. so slim. He's like, I don't think there'll be a vaccine until at least March. Uh, and even yeah. then he's like, we can at that time, see, maybe give it a couple of months, see how people who get it react. And then, then we can think about getting it. And then what will happen if we don't get herd immunity? I don't know what that means, you know? I don't know what that means either. <laughs> uh, I know, I know. My youngest son is 14 and he was just complaining to me today about online schooling. It's like, so when is this going to be over? It's like, I don't know. <laughs> no yeah. idea. And then also in Portland, I have not left the house for like 10 or 11 days because of the smoke. So our yeah. air quality is hazardous. So I could totally relate to you being cooped up when you had when you were dealing with COVID. I don't have a toddler anymore. That must have been especially hard. And, and you know what? We felt bad for our toddler because he has a speech delay. Mm-hmm. So for him to stop all services and everything, oh, it, yeah. it, it, I mean, it's the kind of stagnated him and he's definitely regressed. And in fact, earlier today, I took him for an evaluation by a speech therapist at the local school because I, I told my husband, I was like, what, what are we supposed to do now? Like, do yeah. we just let him like live like a like a whatever like a free bird? Is he not is he not speaking or is he having it's the way he pronounces things? No, he doesn't get his needs met. So mm-hmm. he won't ask for milk or food or something, but he'll like tell you the alphabet and letters and colors and shapes and numbers oh. and all that. He's a, he's an interesting guy. Yeah. Well, my oldest son didn't talk till he was like 3. So that's why I ask. He had a lot yeah. of speech therapy and but he was an early preemie, so that was why yeah. we knew we knew that he was smart because we could tell that he understood us, but he just had a hard time forming words. Yes. So do you think it was this moment where your husband actually talked to the nurse or do you think you might have picked it up somewhere else? No, I think that's where cuz yeah. they were seeing covid patients at that time. Mm-hmm. They were definitely seeing them. They were definitely that was when the numbers were coming up slowly and steadily every day. So he's like, "No, it's probably where we got you got it from." Yeah, my sister, as I mentioned, she's a physician and she, her husband has had throat cancer. So he's recovering from, still recovering from cancer. He just had it last year. So that's my sister's greatest fear because she's seeing patients in her practice. So, ah, terrifying. Well, I'm so glad that you have recovered. And do you have any lingering effects from it? Or do you feel like you're back to normal? No, I feel like there are times where I do lose my breath much easier Mm -hmm. than I would have normally. There are times I sometimes feel like this, that weird backache starting again. I get freaked out every time it happens. I'm going, oh, it's happening again. It's happening again. It's happening again. I like jump around like, no, 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 please don't happen again. Please don't happen again. Did you ever fear for your life? Like when you first found out, were you worried you were going to die or? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, Uh definitely. Especially when the first test came negative and the waiting for the second one, that weekend was the longest weekend of my life. Cause I was at the point, I was like, I don't know what's happening. And the fear was that what if this one comes negative, then what is it? And I was telling my husband, I was like, how do you want to plan things? And he was like, plan what? He's like, well, what if, what if I end up on the vent and I die and who's going to take care of the kids? Are you going to keep them here? Will you move? What's the plan? What's this? We were at the point that I think we even talked to my my mom about it. I was like, what if this happens? And and she's like, don't talk like that. And I was like, what? This is just a thought. Yeah. <laughs> at this point, like, what do we do? What what will happen? And it, it was it was really mentally debilitating. Like, okay, what am I going to do? What what if I even if I don't die? What if I become so you know incapacitated that I'm just like bed bound? <laughs> what, right. what then? 
Right. All these thoughts went through our head. Oh my gosh, that must have been terrifying. So let's talk about that movie Cuties that I just saw uh, yesterday. Yes. What did you think about it? I'm going to do a Facebook it? live on it tomorrow uh, oh, on, my, uh, on the podcast's Facebook page. I only saw it, honest to goodness, it would if I had come across that movie in just my scrollings of Netflix, I would have probably never clicked on it. Because like, meh, dance movie about kids, whatever. Not my cup of tea, not something I'm interested in at all. But I only watched because I'd been hearing maybe about three weeks ago that someone posted like, oh, this is a misogynistic sexualization of children. And I was like, what is that now? Okay. Heard the name, kind of forgot. But then this past week when like this uproar around it, Mm -hmm. like cuties is sexualizing children and this and that. And then the other angle people had was like, oh, it's an Islamophobic movie. It shows Mm -hmm. Muslims in a bad light. And I was like, okay, now I have to see this. What is this nonsense? (laughs) Right. So it was a couple of nights ago and my husband and I were just sitting around and he, the kids were in bed and I was like, you want to see this movie? People are on an uproar about it. And he's like, okay, let's watch it. And I, and I was like, you know what? If it gets uncomfortable, because I had seen a preview of that dance sequence. And I was like, that was like uncomfortable for it's me disturbing. to watch. It's disturbing. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Like I wasn't like, oh my goodness, how are they doing? I was, I was like, uh, I don't need to see that. Mm-hmm. So we had already decided that if there's more scenes like that, we'll just skip through them. We'll forward them and we'll just get to the core of the movie. We saw the movie and we were like, okay, what's so offensive? Yeah. <laughs> We got to the end song and I was like, okay, this is where they show all this stuff. So we kind of skipped through the song. We're like, we don't need to see this. But that was it. Like that was the shock value. And I was like, what the hell? I feel like I've been lied to by everyone in the world. Because I was like, what are they talking about? It's it's really, I'm not going to say it's a good movie. And I don't even think it's a very well-made movie because I, there was a lot of questions we had. Like, for example, my husband and I like, where was the mom all day? Like, what was she doing? Was she working? Was yeah. she, where was she? Like, even if she's, if she's, let's say, a domestic help somewhere, is she working at someone's house? Is she a cook, a cleaner? She's never around. And she's, the little girl seems to be watching her siblings. We're like, so where's the mom? And how come this school seems to allow a very liberal dress code and, and we were just excusing it with the thought that maybe in Europe it's it's different maybe they're okay with those kind of clothes mm-hmm. in school because I was thinking back to my school and I was like yeah yeah if people if girls dress like that they would send them home or get them like a t-shirt or something they wouldn't mm-hmm. let them walk around like that just because it's a dress code thing it wasn't like oh it's inappropriate it's like anyone wear two short shorts okay you gotta get good pants so we were watching it and I was like yeah and I told my husband I was, I, and he hasn't seen it but I have I was like you know what it's it's funny people are arguing over this movie Yet when someone like Cardi B has a video called WAP out, that which is basically, if you watch it, Marie, it's like soft porn. Oh, really? I haven't is. watched it yet, really? It's uh-huh. literally soft porn. And it's, uh-huh. it's innuendo and suggestive. And it, and I mean, like really leaves little to the imagination. Very little. And I was like, well, when you have that as the top video in the country available on YouTube and all these like streaming channels, and it's not censored. It's mm-hmm. something like my son could go Google Cardi B and that will be the first thing that comes up. And of course, when little girls and little boys, boys too, boys mm-hmm. are watching this in school or around or they're sharing it and a girl sees that, oh, this is what a guy likes. And they assume that this is how we have to behave to get that attention mm-hmm. because the sexualization of the world is just so constant now. Yeah. Why wouldn't a little girl fall for this? Why wouldn't they try to, you know, mimic this or you know, do something drastic to get the likes? Just like that little girl in the movie, when she had seen the other group had kind of slightly exposed themselves. She was like, okay, well to get the, the right attention, I'm going to expose myself too mm-hmm. on Instagram or whatever she was using it. Then getting called out for it. And I was like, well, because she's only doing what she thinks is done. 
Mm-hmm. Like, this is normal because we've normalized it. Yeah. It's going to get her more popular. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then when that other little girl in that one scene where she, you know, blows up a condom and then she's crying, she's like, I don't know what that is. And it's, it was so sad because like, yeah, well, why would she shouldn't yeah. need to know at 10, right. 11 years old what a condom right. is? Yeah. And she was just being a kid and then she's crying about it. And it's like, yeah, but like, and then the whole like the Islamophobic angle, I didn't see it. And that's coming from a Muslim. I was like, look, the the troop was made up of four or five girls. Only one of them happened to be Muslim. The others were not. They didn't even tell you what they were. Mm-hmm. at all so and and they were all equally affected by the same thing i mean yes islam does allow multiple marriages but there's a lot a lot of rules for that i think sometimes western media makes it very easy like oh yeah anyone can just get married a second time you have to be very fair you have to be just between both you have to be exactly the same everything not as easy to just you know pop up open a new wife or something but in the movie i was like well if you let's just change the scenario what if it was a mom with her daughter and then the parents are divorced and the dad's getting remarried. Wouldn't the kid have the same kind of rebellious reaction? They do. Mm-hmm. Most kids do have the same reaction that why is mom or dad getting remarried? Because kids in that age group still have that hope that maybe mom and dad might get together. Maybe they could still work out. Maybe they'll it'll all just go back to the way it was. But when you hear of another a parent getting remarried, it might be like, but wait a minute. No, no, it's not going to happen. So this girl, Amy, to react the way she was, was pretty correct that she wasn't happy that, you know, why is my dad doing this? And she reacted. She could have been atheist or Jewish or Christian or whatever. At that point, she reacted the way any 11 year old would about hearing their dad's getting remarried. Also, she seemed to be very upset about her mom being so sad, too. That that was really. Yes. Yes. It reminds me of. Did you ever watch the TV show Big Love? Yes. It, you know, kind of like that, that, you know, the, the women who were already married to the man, they had to welcome in these new wives. And it's it's yeah. difficult. It's hard on a woman, obviously. I'm not in favor of polygamy for that reason. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, you know. and you will find many Muslims who aren't in favor right. of polygamy absolutely. either. I, t- I tell my husband all the time, you yeah. think about it and I'm going to leave you and, and kill you at the same time. <laughs> well, and, you know, like I said, a lot. A lot of religions have that in their roots. I mean, you know, Christianity, I mean, the Bible, there are men that have several wives. So is that the criticism of it, that it was anti-Muslim? The fact I think people, people who are saying that's anti-Muslim have actually not seen the movie. Yeah, probably. So yes. and anyone saying anything like, oh, it's showing kids doing pornographic things has not seen the movie. Yeah. Did you read that Washington Post article that was written by the director? I didn't. I did hear. I saw it come across my newsfeed. And I was like, I'm going to sit down and read that because that yeah. probably will give a lot more better insight. Into what yeah, the because going she, on. she actually said that she decided to make the movie because she saw a dance performance in Paris where a group of young girls came on the stage dressed and dancing in a risque way. She was shocked yeah. by it. You know, that's reflected in that scene because the audience, most of the audience are horrified, right? Most, so, uh, most of the only ones I think who are enjoying it were like the, the boys. They were like, oh, right, that's nice. Right, And exactly. the mothers and the women, they were like, close your eyes, shut your eyes. Like, no, 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 no. And I was like, that's what they're trying to show that this yeah. is not being celebrated. These girls thought they would be celebrated for this. People are like, no, 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 that's disgusting. That's not normal. The sexualization part is that these dance moves that we've normalized in society. If again, if a, if a grown woman is performing that, we're like, oh, that's sexy. A kid's doing that, like, oh, that's disgusting. But the kid is seeing that same adult do it and get the praise. So why not? Why, why not? I want the praise too. And because we're in a shock factor society where anything shocking will get you attention. Okay, let's do it. Yep. There's an author, Peggy Orenstein, who writes about raising boys or raising girls. And she has actually written a couple of books about girls and sex and boys and sex. And even Mm -hmm. though I have three boys, I think the girls one came out first. I don't know if I read the boys one yet, but the 
Girls One talks a lot about how much pressure these young girls are to like send nude photos and things like that. It's really, it's very sad that they feel that kind of pressure to fit in. You know, I think that your point is well taken that where was the mom? But I also felt like in many ways, it was really a beautiful movie. It was eye-opening in the sense that, yeah, we need to, as a society, check ourselves. Like, what are we highlighting? If we're really giving people like Cardi B and these people who who really are just selling sex. Mm-hmm. I'm all for an artist having a beautiful voice, wonderful words, sharing all that. But if you watch the video, you'll see what I mean. It's like, well, I'm not even at that point in, in, in this specific music video. I don't think anyone even cares what the words are because you're just so focused on like, what yeah. the heck am I just seeing I right have now? To go, I have to go watch it now. I haven't, I'm not a big Cardi B fan, so I haven't watched that yet, but I do. I, I didn't know what it stood for until I looked it up. Yeah, so, I, I, right I didn't either. I, had to look, I, was like, yeah. I was like, oh dear. Shows how we're not young people, I guess. <laughs> yeah, when I saw yeah. the name, I was like, what does that mean? What does that stand for? Yeah. And I had to like Google another, oh, oh, let's, yeah. no, let's not ever say that ever. Right, exactly. Leave it in our Google search history. Oops. Yes. I mean, I think that their dancing was not that far away from what even nowadays when young kids go into modern dance studios and they learn these dances yes. that are not that far away from that as well as childhood beauty pageants. They're kind yeah. of like that as well. So a lot of people are attacking people who are saying that this is a wrong movie. It's like, well, we've had toddlers and tiaras forever. So yeah. where's the problem in that? Right. And I, well, they weren't sexual. I think I was like, I think putting fake teeth in a toddler so that they look like they have pretty perfect is, is oh, do they do that really yes i've seen one of those a couple of those episodes where it was like a four-year-old five-year-old maybe six-year-old who lost a couple of teeth so they put like wow. these like gum bridges and they're like yeah you just wear them so you have a perfect smile the makeup the hair it's it's so overdone it's like this doesn't look like a four-year-old a 40 year old bad gosh. makeup well and also there's the fact that she's comes from an African family. I think that probably, I mean, living in France, I don't know what their laws are about having more than one wife, you know, but she's coming from an immigrant perspective. So yeah. it's different than a French perspective, probably. So. You, yeah, and, and it seems yeah. like they're refugees. But they didn't, you know, focus on that in the movie no, as much. They that, didn't, uh-uh. that they're getting, like, hate from other French people or you know, the the locals, I didn't, I didn't see any of that. I was like, they really focused on the story of the girls and how this dancing and all that became, you know, sexualized. It also shows how it's difficult sometimes to bridge a gap if you're a child of an immigrant, mm-hmm. especially because, you know, like that one scene in the beginning, there were all that group of women and the, the woman was saying, this is what you need to do is to be a woman. You know, there yeah. are a lot of rules. And so she's chafing against that. So let's talk a little bit about your podcast. When did you start what? it and what made you decide to do a podcast? The idea for a podcast was kind of rattling in my head for a good two years. And then in January of this year, I was like, you know what? I should just launch it. Let me just put it out there and see what happens. And so that's what I did. I launched the podcast. It was called Musings of a Modern Muslim. Because when I was starting the podcast, I had a very specific goal in mind. I was like, you know, I'm going to make a podcast about combating misconceptions about Muslims. And I was like, I'm going to talk about this and this will be important. It's necessary. But then I was like, but who really cares? It sounds bad saying it. And definitely there are a lot of misconceptions that I still will go and, you know, go against. But it's only so far that you can go before someone feels like, oh, wait, you're not an authority figure on this. And I'm not. I'm not, I'm not a religious authority. So I, I shouldn't really be talking about deep religious stuff without being someone who's learned in that. And then slowly the podcast kind of took a shape of its own. It's not so niche anymore. Now it's more like I'll bring on people from interesting backgrounds and just interview them. And most of the people, are they've persevered. Or we talk about things that are very relevant. We, I, I've talked about Black Lives Matter, colorism, 
I'm planning an episode on fat phobia and things that are really just matter. And I was like, this is what I think this should be. And then the title didn't make sense anymore. So the musings of a modern Muslim, it kind of applied to me only. It didn't apply to the podcast guests and the audience. So then I was like, you know, this needs to be something else where I'm talking to someone and just we're just talking truthfully and not it's not made up. It's not meant for ratings or anything. Suddenly like authentic and unfiltered just connect. And I was like, you know what? That's it. <laughs> It'll be authentic and unfiltered. Well, personally, I have always been fascinated by stories from people from different cultures or different perspectives. So I would have listened to it because I thought, oh, a modern Muslim, that would be interesting to me. But Mm -hmm. not everybody would be interested. Have you read that book, Muslim Girl? They have a website. She has a website as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, What's her name? Uh, Amani, right? Yeah, Yeah, she might be interested to have have on your podcast. I, I, yeah, I will reach out yeah, to her. I think, I re- yeah, I really I think like that. I, and tomorrow the people we're, we're talking to for this movie are all Muslim women. So it's, it'll be an interesting mix. It's me, and then it's this published author, Sonia Kamal. She uh-huh. has two books published, and then there's a film student who actually helps me produce my shows. And Sonia is very modern, forward thinking, very uh, liberal Muslim. And then Samana is one of those who still wears a hijab, Uh is a film student, is in the know, young, and then you have me in the middle. So we're like, it'll be a very interesting conversation because it'll be different perspectives. And yeah. it's all Muslim women. So it's like, okay, well, it is our perspective still. Yeah, that will be fascinating. I can't wait. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about raising boys. You and I both have three boys. What are the most important messages you want to send to your boys as they grow up? Be respectful for anyone, regardless of gender, mm-hmm. creed, sexual orientation, or whatever. Because if nothing else, these past four years have ta- taught us is to look inside ourselves that we all have biases and these little tendencies to be prejudicial and racial and we got to stop. So I'm just trying to teach my boys that, hey, everyone deserves respect and everyone deserves a chance to live. That's such an important message. I fully agree with you on that. Yeah. Thank you. Is there a story of grit and resilience that has been an inspiration for you in your life? I think the time when, uh, the first time I moved away, like I said, I'd grown up in Boston. My parents are there. My brother and parents are still live there. And I had gotten married in Boston. I lived only 35 minutes away from my parents and then I had two kids. And then when I had to suddenly, you know, uproot myself, it was truly leaving home when we went to Wisconsin. And then, of course, my husband was working like crazy. And it was me alone at home with these two little boys. They were at that time eight months old and two and a half all the time. And I'm in general a very, very, I I get scared very easily. Horror movies are not my thing. I do not watch them because I, I get scared very easily. But at that time, to learn that, you know what? I'm the only line of defense. If something happens in the middle of the night or daytime or something and no one's around, it's just me and these kids. And I, I had to like build myself up. Like I, I, I was like, you know, I'm not going to watch horror movies or horror TV shows. And then even some of my favorite thing, things to watch are true crime and, and law and order and all those things. Mm-hmm. Some of those shows can get very realistic. I stopped watching them. Mm. And I was like, you know what? I need to be ready. If this is where we're living at that time, we didn't know if we we're going to stay there permanently. I have to do this myself and minus 40 degrees weather, you know, and all the cold and everything. I was like, well, if we have to do something, we just have to do it. So you had to kind of steal yourself and say, I'm just going to get through this. Yeah. And that was when I think I really grew up. Mm-hmm. I, tr- I truly matured and grew up then. And then I was like, that's it. Now I can do it. Yeah. I can imagine. I mean, moving to a new environment, a new community with children that small, that must have been mm-hmm. really hard. Yeah. And then your husband was probably working long hours. And- yes. Long hours. And then, you know, overnight. 
overnight was scary. I think daytime long hours yeah. doesn't really scare you as much, but overnight right. you're like, okay, if anything happens, and we were literally right off the highway, middle of nowhere. So it was Ugh. like anything really could happen. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Yeah, that must have been like, scary. There was a lot of people who, I mean, uh, it's same thing. Gun culture was very big there. A lot mm-hmm. of hunters, people had big rifles, big guns all over. And you were like, okay, you know what? What if some crazy cuckoo out of nowhere decides like, hey, doesn't seem like anyone's home or this person's left. Let's go on in. Right. And it's only like a mom with two little kids in there. Easy pickings. So what about now? Are you, do you get scared as easily now? Or do you think that you- No, no. Yeah. I think I've built it up now. I'm like, yeah, yeah. We gotta do it. We gotta wow. do it. And there are still times my husband does do overnight shifts and it's like, okay, you know what? I have a system. Like when he leaves, I'll, you know, lock the garage, lock the door, set the alarm. Mm-hmm. and walk just walk around the house quickly make sure every all the windows and doors are locked alarm set and our alarm system is pretty good like even if you open the door like a little bit like straight calls the police so it's like you know what we're fine and then that, my, my son who starts playing lot. he plays baseball so he, he has a metal bat and i was like i'm gonna keep this metal bat what better not break into your house great no, it's a metal bat you know wooden bat it's gonna right 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 oh my gosh well i'm glad that you found a place where you feel like you can belong you think you'll stay in dallas I think so. We yeah. do like it here. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I joke with my husband, like, well, if, if, if Trump wins again, you want to think about it? <laughs> go go yeah. to a different country. Let's move to Canada or something. Yeah. Where would you go? I'd probably go to Canada. Canada. I like uh-huh. Canada. I, I put my family I like there. So I, I was like, too. I do like Canada. I would go to Canada. Or I might just, I would just move up north. I would put my house on rent, move up north for a couple of years. Mm. and then come back i know there's part of me i feel that way as well but then i feel like we probably need to stay because we have this sense we have the privilege of being able to leave right and not everybody has that i feel like we would need to stay here and fight for democracy you know i think we just (laughs) we just we just hunker down and be like no my gosh i know if he wins again at least he can never come back (laughs) oh my gosh well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate thank it. It's you. been great talking to you. I hope you have a wonderful day and I can't wait to hear your Facebook Live tomorrow. Perfect. Thank you so much, Marie. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining today and hearing Farheen's story. I'm so glad her physician husband pushed for that extra coronavirus test and that she's confident being a Muslim woman without feeling like she has to justify herself all the time. Her life and strength are an inspiration. Next week is my birthday, so I will have a special episode when I'll share my own grit and resilience story. After being born with multiple birth defects, I faced countless childhood surgeries, adolescent bullying, a traumatic incident at age 13, giving birth to my first child in just 24 weeks and enduring 117 days of his stay in the NICU, secondary infertility and finding out I had a rare benign tumor in my ear that required me to have four more surgeries, including one on my brain. My job was eliminated in the company I worked at for 28 years. I found a job within a month that I thought would be my dream job, and I got laid off after a year on the job. Then I started my own business, but I applied for 130 jobs last year before finally realizing I needed to take the leap completely and believe in myself. As Freddie Mercury said, don't stop me now. Thanks for listening to the Finding Fertile Ground podcast. Our music is by jazz pianist Jonathan Swanson. This podcast is brought to you by Fertile Ground Communications. Look us up on fertilegroundcommunications.com.